Well, hey, if you are tuning in, if you're one of our regular listeners, or maybe you're tuning in for the first time, uh, my name's Samer, and when we originally recorded this message at the living room uh, this past week, we had some technical difficulties, uh, and the audio didn't get captured, and so we didn't have the message recorded anywhere, but we felt like this conversation was way too important just to not post up on the podcast for you guys to be able to reference and listen to and share. Um, so I am actually going to re-give the message on stage to an empty room. Uh, so it's not going to feel like a normal message. There's not going to be a crowd. No one's going to laugh at my jokes. Uh, but more importantly, we just want you guys to be able to have this content to go back, listen to, and share with your friends. Uh, so we hope that this is helpful. So we have been uh, trekking through a series called Dating in a Swipe Right Culture. Uh, and we've been digging in and having some conversations about what it looks like to date well. And kind of like the overarching theme, if you will, um, that we've kind of been running with throughout the course of this series is that in our world today, because of culture and technology and our cell phones and apps, it's never been easier to connect. It's never been easier um, to meet people and to hook up with people. But at the same time, it's never been more difficult difficult to date well. It's never been more difficult to have healthy, lasting relationships. And we said a large part of that um, is because what culture is teaching us, but it's not just culture's fault. We said that all of us have this problem is that we're all selfish. All of us inherently are selfish. And the things that culture teaches us about relationships and sex and dating just perpetuates this problem that we all already have. And we said it's really important though to pay attention. It's really important to pay attention to what culture is teaching you because this is what we said a couple of weeks ago. If you are not aware of what culture is teaching you, you will unknowingly adopt what culture is teaching. If you are not aware of what culture is teaching you, you will unknowingly adopt what culture is teaching. And for some of you, the reason why dating hasn't gone very well, the reason why your relationships have never worked out the way that you want them, the reason why you have so much relational baggage and regret is because you've unknowingly adopted something that culture is teaching. And so we've been digging in and we've been diving in and we've been having some conversations that maybe you didn't think you were allowed to have at church. And we've said some things that you didn't think you were allowed to say at church, but all of it, all of it, because we want you to date well. We want you to even be in a relationship and you guys break up. Cause let's be honest, if you're dating somebody, chances are you're not going to get married. Uh, but even to be able to break up and you guys still be okay after it's all over. We believe you can date that way. And even more than just dating well now, man, we want to set you up for what you ultimately want later, right? Um, that, that ultimately what a lot of you guys want more than anything else is you want to get married one day and you want to be a husband and you want to be a wife and you want to have a great marriage that has great sex. And, and here's what you need to know is that decisions that you make now in these areas, the decisions that you make in your relationships and the decisions you make with sex, all of that is going to impact what you ultimately want later. Our senior pastor, I've heard him, Andy Stanley, say this, that decisions have babies. And it's kind of funny, right, to think about that. But it's so true that the decisions we make now, and they're not just isolated. They don't just stay here. No, decisions that we make, a lot of them find their way into our future. And that is never more true than, we talk, than when we talk about decisions as it relates to relationships and sex. And that's especially true. It's especially true in our conversation tonight, because tonight what we're going to be talking about is sex. That's right. Sex. We're going to be having the sex talk. 
the birds and the bees. I don't know why they call it the birds and the bees talk, right? There's no way birds and bees can have sex. Um, but this is where we're jumping in. We're going to have the sex talk. And maybe some of you, um, you immediately go back to that awkward conversation you had with your mom or your dad about the sex talk. If you're like me, um, you didn't have the conversation with your parents. Like, I love my parents. I have great parents. Um, we have a great relationship. But I never had the sex talk with my parents. If you're like me, um, you learned about sex from TVs and movies um, and your friends. In fact, like the movie that I learned about sex from was Titanic. Yeah, I know. that. Like, it's crazy. I feel really old thinking about that. Uh, but if you're like me, that's how you kind of learned about it. And maybe maybe um, you, you grew up growing to a church or maybe you went to a church with your friend um, and really more than likely the church that you grew up going to or the church that you visited a few times kind of handled sex one of two ways. For some of you, you grew up going to a church or you went with a friend um, to their church a bunch of times and their view on sex was, hey, you just don't talk about it. Like, um, you know, what's my stance on sex? Don't do it, right? Like, don't do it. Well, what if I, no, don't do it. Well, how about, well, don't do it. Why? Well, don't do it. What if I've already, don't do it, right? Like their whole view on sex is the opposite of Nike, right? Like, just don't do it. For some of you, you grew up going to church and it was like sex was all about like a say no to drugs campaign. Just like don't do it. Don't do it. Maybe, maybe you grew up going to a church and they didn't even talk about sex. It just wasn't even mentioned. Like they treated it as this dirty, unholy thing and you weren't supposed to talk about it. You weren't supposed to mention it. It was just something for marriage and you weren't even really supposed to think about it. So for some of you, you're kind of walking here and thinking, well, yeah, I've, I've heard it. Don't do it. I've been told not to even think about it. Well, tonight we are going to talk about sex, but I don't want to treat it like a say no to drugs campaign. I don't want to treat it like a say no to drugs, say no to crack, and then say no to sex. No, no, no. I want to jump into the conversation and I want to tell you why sex is different. I want to tell you why sex is special, but I want to tell you why. I don't want to just tell you no. I want to tell you why. And my hope is that you would leave here compelled um, to want to treat sex differently, to give it a little bit more respect than oftentimes we give it. Um, and like what we've been doing throughout the course of the series, we've been looking at what culture um, has been teaching us. And we've been taking an idea um, as it relates to dating and relationships. Um, and we've been saying, hey, culture teaches us this. And we've kind of been evaluating whether or not what culture is teaching us is actually a good thing. And so the thing that I want to kind of look at today is this, is that as it relates to sex, the thing that culture teaches us and the myth that culture feeds us is this, that sex is just physical. The thing that culture is trying to teach us through so many different avenues is that sex is just physical. It's just something that you do. It's just physical. And if I could give you like a little mini history lesson, um, if you go back to the 1970s and the 1980s, there was a guy, um, a psychologist and a sexologist. That's right. Sexologist. That's an actual job. <clears throat> Some of you guys are going to go uh, change your majors after um, this. Uh, but uh, in the 1970s and 1980s, this sexologist, his name was Alfred Kinsey. Alfred Kinsey. And what Alfred Kinsey did, he had this teaching and he had this philosophy um, that sex is just physical. 
that his goal was to separate sex from any kind of value system. Separate sex from any kind of value. And for him, it was just like anything else that you do. That for Alfred Kinsey, sex was just like going to the grocery store. It was just like going to get a cup of coffee. It was just like eating. It was just like sleeping. It was just like football, tackle football to be exact. Um, But for Alfred Kinsey, it was just physical. And so you could detach sex from any kind of values. And the implication of that is that as it relates to sex, there's no right or wrong. There's no right or wrong. That you just do it. It's just like everything else. That animals do it, so we should do it too. Because it's just physical. And then after Alfred Kinsey came along, there was a guy who you've probably heard of. His name is Hugh Hefner. Yes, Hugh Hefner. And what Hugh Hefner did was he wanted to kind of continue this teaching that Alfred Kinsey had and push this philosophy. And Hugh Hefner dubbed himself as a missionary for sex. He was going to be a missionary for sex. And he wanted to, he wanted to tell the world, hey, sex, it's a good thing. It's just physical and anybody and everybody should enjoy it whenever and however they want. And so Hugh Hefner went on to establish the very well-known pornographic industry um, called Playboy. And I find it so interesting. I find it so interesting that a teaching or a philosophy that you could separate sex from values is what led to the creation of one of the biggest and most well-known pornographic companies that objectifies women. That one of the biggest industries and one of the biggest like names in the world of pornography that objectifies women is really the first of its kind. Playboy was the first of its kind. I find it so interesting that the objectification of women to that degree was was birthed out of, was born out of this philosophy that you could separate sex from values. And really the goal today is not very much different. The goal today in our culture today is not very much different. That the goal has become to remove any kind of line morally from sex. That, that it's just physical. That as long as you can avoid the consequences, everything else will be okay. That if you could just make sure to avoid the STDs, if you could just make sure to avoid the pregnancy, like use a condom, use protection, make sure you're on the pill. That if you could just get away without getting an STD or getting pregnant, if you could just avoid the consequences, then you can have sex with whoever, whenever. It doesn't matter if you know them or not. It doesn't matter if you're drunk and won't remember it the next day. Because after all, sex is just physical. It's what culture wants us to believe. That's what we're being taught over and over and over and over. But let's just be real for just a second. And just for a moment, I want you to just be honest with yourself, just for a second. I just want you to be honest with yourself. And, and just so you know, um, this is not a faith thing. This is not a what does God or Jesus kind of thing. No, no, this is just a humanity thing. Like for just a moment, I just want you to just agree with me silently that you're just going to be honest with yourself. That's it, nobody has to know. Just be honest with yourself. And, and we're taking faith out of it. We're taking the Jesus and the God stuff out of it. No, no, just, just be honest with yourself as a human being that lives and breathes. Come on, come on, you know, you know that sex is more than just physical. Come on, and you might not be able to put your finger on exactly why 
And you might not be able to exactly identify why you feel that way, but come on, there's something in the core of who you are. And this is not a faith thing. This is a humanity thing. There's something in you, in the core of who you are. You know, you know that sex is not just physical. There's something in you that knows it's different. And maybe, though, maybe you're not totally convinced. Well, I just want to ask you a few questions in hopes of proving the idea. The first is this. If, if sex is just physical, like if that's all it is, if sex is just physical, then why is it that we call the morning after you spend the night at somebody's apartment and you hook up with them and you're walking back to your apartment, why is it that we call that the walk of shame? You ever thought about that? I mean, why is there shame involved? If it's just physical, why is it called the walk of shame? I mean, when you go work out in the morning, is that called the walk of shame? When you're walking to Starbucks in the morning to get a macchiato, is that the walk of shame? No. Why is it then? Why is it then? Well, you spend the night to hook up with somebody and then you walk home the next morning. If it's just physical, why is it called the walk of shame? Maybe because it's more than just physical. If sex is just physical, why is it that so oftentimes you hear people talk about how they want to wait for that special someone? Like, again, this is not a Jesus thing. This is not a faith thing. Like, I have people who are not Jesus followers, and I've heard them talk about how, yeah, I want to wait till our one-year anniversary, or I want to wait until I meet that special someone to have sex. So this is not a faith thing. I've heard people that don't have a faith talk about this. But if sex is just physical, why is it that you've heard people say this, and maybe you've said this yourself, well, I'm just going to wait for that special someone. I mean, why does it have to be a special someone if it's just physical, if it's just like going out to eat, if it's just make, like making out, if it's just like doing anything and everything else, why does there need to be a special someone? Maybe it's because sex is not just physical. Or if, if sex is just physical, why is it when you talk to people who have regret in their lives, so oftentimes the biggest regret that people have in their lives has to do with something sexual. And maybe you've experienced this, maybe you have a friend, maybe you've talked to somebody, maybe you have a mentor, but why is it that so oftentimes people's greatest regrets are surrounding sexual behavior? I mean, come on, if it's just physical, why can't you brush it off like a speeding ticket? If it's just physical, why can't you just brush it off like anything else that you do that you wish you hadn't? Why is it that sex is different? And the last one, and I, I want to be so sensitive about this one. I almost didn't want to talk about it. I almost didn't want to bring it up, but I just, I want us to have an honest conversation. If sex is just physical, why is it that rape is way worse and way more traumatic than just getting physically assaulted? I mean, come on. If sex is just physical, why is rape in its own category of evil? Maybe. Because sex is not just physical. And come on, regardless of your faith background, regardless of what you believe about Jesus, there's probably something in you that, whether you want to believe it or not, there's something in you that just says, yeah, sex is not just physical. 
that, that there's something bigger there. There's something more there. That there's something more powerful there. There's something more precious and fragile there. That there's a stronger connection that's happening there with sex. And it's way bigger and it's way better than just something physical. And I would argue that sex is only part physical. It's only part physical. Um, that, that if I could just kind of make it as simplistic as possible, that sex is really only one third physical. Really, like what I would say is that sex is physical, but there's also, it's psychological and it's also spiritual. That sex is kind of like three dimensional. Physical, psychological, and spiritual, right? The physical, like clearly the physical body, your sexual organs, right? Like the pleasure and the arousal and the hormones and the orgasm, like all of that. Yeah, we just said orgasm in church, but, but, it's, but, it's, but it's all of that. It's, it's all the physical parts that make sex great, but that's only a part of it. There's also the psychological, like your mind, the feelings, the fantasy, the choosing, the gentleness, the caring, the imagination. That's also part of sex, the emotional. And then there's the spiritual. And by spiritual, I don't mean like faith spiritual. I couldn't really think of a better word. But by spiritual, this is the part of sex that touches your soul. It's the, the spiritual side of sex, like the commitment to another person. It's the love, it's the surrender, it's the values, it's being completely vulnerable before somebody. It's like that part of you where it's like your souls are mingling. That sex is connected to the deepest part of who you are. It's connected to your soul. In fact, I would say it this way, that there's a connection between your sexual behavior, sexuality, and your soul. There's a connection between your sexual behavior, the physical, your sexuality, the mind and the psychological, and your soul, the deepest part of who you are. And that is by design. That is not an accident. See, because look, God created sex. And it's a good thing. Some of you need to hear that, that God designed it. God created sex. Like, and, and I'm not saying that this is how it happened, right? But when I think about the fact that God created sex, I can't help but like imagine this all playing out in my head. Like God is creating all of creation and the world and this, that, and the other. And then like he creates Adam and he has like the greatest epiphany of all time, you know? And he's like, oh my gosh, I've got the greatest idea ever. And the angels are like, what? And he's like, no, nah, don't worry. Y'all can't have it anyway. You know, I don't, <laughs> I don't think that happened. And I'm not saying that that happened, right? But it's funny to think about. But, but God created sex and he created it to, to, um, for us to experience pleasure. And he created it so that we would have like an orgasm like that. God created that. We shouldn't like shy away from that and, and feel weird about it. God created it. And he created it to feel good. He also created it as a way for us to make children. It's great that something that feels so good is also a way that we create children. But when God created sex, it wasn't just physical. It wasn't just pleasure. And it wasn't just for us to be able to make babies. No, when God created sex, he had something way bigger in mind. That when God created sex, he had this thing called intimacy in mind. Intimacy. To know and be fully known. To know someone and to be fully and completely known. That God created sex to be a reflection of our intimacy with him. 
Like, think about this. We stand before God, that God knows everything about us. He knows our past. He knows our struggles. He knows our sins. He knows our mistakes. He knows everything about us. We stand before our creator 100% vulnerable. Yet even though he knows everything about us, even though he sees every bit of us, he accepts us and he loves us anyway and he gives us grace anyway. And that sex, that intimacy with another person was meant to be a reflection of that with God, that before God, we are completely and fully known and we can know him and we are 100% accepted anyway. And that's what sex is supposed to be between two people, that you would be able to experience the highest degree of intimacy with another person. And think about this. Think about this. You standing naked before somebody else and you giving of your body to somebody else and you exploring somebody else's body with them. I mean, there is nothing more intimate than that. There is nothing more vulnerable than you standing before somebody and giving your body to them. But God created it so that we would be able to know and be fully known, fearless, vulnerable, and free. That that's what ultimately what intimacy is, that we would know and be fully known, but be fearless, not fearing rejection, being able to be fully vulnerable in exactly who we are and being proud of who we are and being totally free, being totally free to be who God created us to be. That when God created sex, he had intimacy in mind. Fearless, vulnerable, and free. And come on, more than anything else, intimacy is what we're after. Yeah, we've got these physical sexual desires. But more than anything, it is intimacy that is what we are after. To know and be fully known. And listen, when we continually detach sex from values, when we continually detach sex from values, look, we begin to grow numb to intimacy. Like you can have sex and not experience intimacy because when sex continues to be detached from values, when we treat and see sex as just physical, we are not going to experience intimacy, which is what we're ultimately after. And the more you detach sex from values, the more you treat sex as just physical, you can actually grow numb to intimacy. That you can hurt the emotional connection side of sex. You see this with married couples all the time. That you've got married couples who like fooled around before they got married and then they decided to get married and then they realize that, that something is just wrong. Like they're not connecting on a deeper level. Like emotionally it's not working and so they think that sex is the problem. But no, sex is working just fine. That's not the problem. The problem is that for so long, they treated sex as just physical, that they grew numb to intimacy and they were no longer able to experience all that God created sex for. And so it's not just physical. It's way bigger and it's way better than that. It's connected to the deepest part of who you are. And so it is no wonder the Apostle Paul wrote what he wrote in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 18 to 20. And before we get into those verses, I just want to give you just a little bit of context. That just a couple of verses before that, the Apostle Paul, again, in, in Roman culture, and in, in the Corinthian culture, it was 
Temple prostitution was very common. And so just a few verses before the verses we're about to read, the Apostle Paul says, hey, when, when you have sex with a prostitute, you become one with them. Like you become one flesh. What's he mean there? He's saying that, hey, sex is not just physical. It's like the mingling of souls. It's like you become connected at the deepest level with somebody else. It's not just physical. In fact, I had a seminary professor. I'll never forget this. He said that sex is not about the big O of orgasm. Sex is about the big O of oneness. It's not about the big O of orgasm, just physical. No, 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 no. It's bigger than that, that it's not just physical, that it's connected to the deepest part of who you are, that sex is about the big O of oneness, becoming one and intimately connected with somebody else. So the apostle Paul says, hey, so listen, it's not just physical. So then he goes on to write this in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18. He says this. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Flee, run, don't think, just go. Flee, he says, from sexual immorality. And this is so interesting. That word flee, in the Greek, it literally means to keep from doing something by avoiding it because of its potential damage. To keep from doing something because of its potential damage. That the reason why Paul is giving these, this warning sign, the reason why he's saying, hey, run, he's not saying that because he doesn't want us to experience something fun. He's not trying to keep us from something awesome. No, no. He's saying, hey, listen, this thing called sex, it's so powerful and it's so fragile. And if we use it out of the context within which God created it for, the potential for damage is off the charts. The potential for pain is off the chart. The potential for regret is off the chart. So the Apostle Paul, when he was writing this, the only thing he could think to write was, just get away, run, don't think, just go, because the potential for damage is off the charts. Because it's not just physical. And then he goes on to tell us why in the very next verse. He says, all other sins... All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Paul here is putting sexual sin in its very own category. That every other sin a person commits is outside of their body. But when you sin sexually, when you take this thing called sex or even oral sex and you take it out of the context within which God created it for, when you treat it as just physical, when you treat uh, sex and your sexuality flippantly, he's saying it's different. You're actually sinning against your own body. It's so interesting. He doesn't say that you're making God angry. He doesn't say that, that, you know, you're not being a good Christian. No, he's saying, hey, look, will you just wake up? You're actually hurting yourself. And consequently, you're hurting the other person. And Paul here tells us why. There's something in you and there's something in me that just knows, that just knows whether you, you have a faith or not. That sex is not just physical. That there's something bigger there. There's something more there. There's something different there. For the Apostle Paul, his reasoning, hey, man, because when you sin sexually, you're actually hurting yourself. And then for the, this is specifically for the Christians in the room. 
if you if you're not a Jesus follower, you don't like you don't this doesn't you don't have to like take this, right? But if you're a Christian in the room, what he says in verse 19 and 20 is strong medicine for us. And this is what he says. He says, "Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you whom you've received from God that the spirit of God lives inside of us?" He said, "You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Hey, Jesus died for you so that you could live in relationship with your heavenly father. Like you are not your own. Again, for the Jesus follower in the room. So honor God with your bodies, with your like physical body, not like your like, you know, ethereal body. Like, oh my God, yeah, like my life, like it's metaphorical. Like I'm going to honor you, God. I love you. Like I'm going to pray and worship. No, like literally, your body, he says, honor God with it. See, when we treat sex as just physical, we're choosing to ignore the fact that the potential for damage is off the charts. And by doing that, here's essentially what we're saying. We're treating sex like it's a matter of personal preference. We're treating it like it's just something arbitrary, like it's just whatever. It's just a matter of preference. But here's what's true. Sex is not a matter of personal preference. Sex is a matter of divine design, right? By personal preference, I mean like, hey, what kind of music do you like? Yeah, you can listen to that music or do that. Eh, it's just whatever, you know, whatever you like, whatever you feel, like whatever you're in the mood for, that's a matter of personal preference. But sex, sex is not a matter of personal preference. No, no, it's a matter of divine design. That means that there are predictable outcomes, right? Sex is more like nutrition. That if like all you do is eat fat, fatty foods all day and eat nothing but carbs, you're not going to be very healthy. Like you remember that, that documentary, Super Size Me, where the guy had McDonald's for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day for 30 days. And like the world was so shocked that he became unhealthy. Come on. What did you think was going to happen? Like, what did you think was going to happen if you ate McDonald's that much for 30 days? Of course you're going to get unhealthy. There are predictable outcomes when it comes to nutrition. And sex is a matter of divine design, meaning that the outcome is predictable. That when we sin sexually, when we treat sex as just physical, there is going to be damage. We are going to be hurting ourselves and we're going to be hurting the other person. It's predictable. And maybe... Come on, maybe, maybe the creator who designed it, just maybe he knows best. That maybe the God who created sex, the God who created it for you to enjoy and for you to be able to connect intimately with another person, maybe he isn't trying to keep something from you. No, no, he actually wants what's best for you. That maybe he knows best. Maybe he's not trying to keep you on the leash because he's just God and that's what he's supposed to do. No, no. Maybe he's doing it because he actually wants you to experience all that sex was meant to have you experience. That maybe you saying no now is going to allow you to make and say the best yes later. Because look, giving up something you want now for something better later is not a sacrifice. It's an investment. 
It's an investment. Come on. You saying no now is an investment into your future marriage. You saying no now is an investment into your future relationships. You saying no now is an investment even into your intimacy with God. It's an investment into your view of women. It's an investment into your view of men. It's not a sacrifice. It's an investment that saying no now is actually an investment for later. And again, well, culture teaches us the complete opposite. Culture doesn't say saying no now is an investment. No, no. Culture teaches us that you want to make an investment into your future sex. Well, hey, have as much sex as you can now. That we're taught that practice makes perfect. That the more sex you have and the better you get at it, then you'll be better at having sex later. That in fact, you're actually making an investment because practice makes perfect. Okay, two thoughts on that. The first Sex is not that difficult to figure out. Like, I'm telling you, if you wait to have sex until your wedding night for the first time, I promise you're going to figure it out on the first try. (laughs) It's not that complicated. It's pretty intuitive. And God made it pretty dummy proof, okay? And the second is this, that sex with multiple partners, it does not prepare you for a permanent partner, like, that's not what drives and fuels true romance. No, come on. True romance is fueled by a sense of exclusivity. That true romance and true intimacy is actually fueled by a sense of exclusivity. That when you think about your future, when you think about, okay, I'm done with college, I'm going to settle down, I'm going to find my girl, I'm going to find my dude, like we're going to settle down and have a life together. Your picture-perfect future, you don't have five wives. You don't have four husbands and just one on the side when you get bored. No, no, when you think about, and, and fellas, don't act like you're too cool for this, right? But when you think about your, fu- your picture-perfect future, no, no, you think about your one person that you're going to do life with. Exclusivity. To be able to say, I'm fully yours and you are fully mine. Together, no one else. I've got eyes only for you. My body is yours. See, there's no romance in comparison. There's no romance in comparing the first time to the fourth time, or ah, she wasn't as good as that girl. There's no romance in that. There's no romance in being one of many, but there's romance and exclusivity. Right? Sex doesn't make for great relationships. No, a great relationship makes for better sex. So what do I want you to do? I got, I got three things for you. The first, I want you to determine what story you want to tell. Determine what story you want to tell. I mean, what was the story? Well, you're sitting across the room, the table from your fiance or from your future husband or your future wife. Like, what story do you want to tell? What story do you want to tell your kids? Like, what story do you want to tell? You could tell the story, hey, it was really difficult and I, I was tempted a lot and it was really hard. It was really frustrating. I had to say no a lot and, and, and not be a part of things. But I, was, I saved myself for you. Like, I'm going to give you all of who I am because I saved myself for you. That's an amazing story. And there might be some of you who you've already had sex and your story can't be, hey, I've never done it before except with you. But come on, you know what else is an incredible story? 
hey, yeah, I fooled around for a while and, and I slept around for a while, but there was a moment when I wanted my story to be different and I changed and, and, and I stopped sleeping around and because I was thinking about you. I wanted to save it for you. That is still an incredible story. So literally, I don't care where you are on the spectrum. Every single one of you can determine what story you want to tell and start to live it. The second thing, decide what honoring God with your body looks like. You know, I, I can't tell you all that. I can't. I don't, I don't know what your life looks like. I don't know the ins and outs, but come on, you know. You can make this, you're an adult, you can make the decision for yourself. Decide what honoring God with your body looks like. Maybe for some of you, it's ending a relationship. Maybe for some of you, it's not sending that late night text or responding to that late night Snapchat. Maybe for some of you, it's changing the way that you dress or changing the way that you respond to women or the way that you treat men. You just got to decide, you got to decide. What does honoring God with your physical body look like for you? Invite somebody into that process and have a conversation about it. And then the last one, remember there's grace that restores and redeems. This is huge. You've got to remember that there is grace that restores and redeems. That I want you to hear loud and clear tonight that I don't care if you've ruined it. I don't care if you've had sex. I don't care if you're having sex. Here's what you need to know is that there is grace that covers all. That there is forgiveness. That your heavenly father, when he looks down at you, he doesn't see damaged goods. He doesn't see a man who is half the man he used to be. No, no. He sees a son and a daughter. And when Jesus went to the cross for all of our sins, it literally meant all of our sins. So I want you to hear me loud and clear tonight that it's not too late that you cannot have so much sex that God won't love you anymore or that his grace won't cover you anymore. I don't want you to leave here feeling ashamed or discouraged because the grace of God is big enough for you. That God isn't so much concerned about the pain of your past as much as he is the grace in the present and the potential of your future. So regardless of where you are, remember there's grace. And I was, as I was preparing for this message, I was having a, a conversation with a buddy of mine and he had sex before he was married. And I said, hey man, just pretend you were a pastor and pretend you're about to give this message to college students. What would you say to them? And he said, hey Samer, tell them this. Tell them not to fall for the lie that just because you've ruined it once doesn't mean it's not fighting for after that. He said, hey, the first time I had sex, it broke me. It was so difficult. But the second, third, fourth, and fifth time, it got a lot easier because I didn't think it was worth fighting for anymore. So don't let him believe that lie. So look, here, you know what you need to remember? You know what you need to know? That you might have already ruined it maybe once, twice, three, four, five, six, seven, whatever. Don't believe the lie that it's not worth fighting for anymore. Because wherever you are, it's worth fighting for a different story. And there is the grace of God that's going to redeem what's been tarnished and restore what has been broken. That the fact that we are a new creation in Jesus is not just some cool Christian saying, it is real. And so we want to walk alongside you and point you to the grace of God every chance that we get. So remember, 
It's not just physical. It's way bigger. It's way more powerful. And it's way better. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for creating a space in church for us to be able to have these conversations. And thank you that you created us to desire intimacy. And thank you um, that we get to experience intimacy with another person. So Father, I pray that out of this conversation, you would give all of us the courage um, to change our story, to start living differently, to start saying no to things and no to people, that we would start giving sex the respect that it deserves. And I pray, Lord, that if anything else, any student in the room that feels unworthy of your love would be reminded that regardless of what their past looks like, regardless of what mistakes they've made, that your grace and your love covers it all. It's in the matchless name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.